Before I introduce today's podcast, just a word about support, donations, contributing. If you value the rare information you find on these programs, these various podcasts of Spiritual Awakening Radio, I hope you'll consider making a donation, supporting this unusual program, this most unusual podcast. Go to any page of my website and you'll find a yellow PayPal donate button. Go to my website, spiritualawakeningradio.com, and click on the PayPal Donate button if you feel so inclined. Today on Spiritual Awakening Radio, two programs in one. I actually combined together two podcasts to create a 90-minute presentation. A Vegetarian Jesus and Apostles at the Beginning of Christianity and the Gospels of the Ebionites the Hebrew Christians, based on an article and the latest research on this subject of the vegetarianism of early Christianity. During this 90-minute feature, you'll hear the following explored. Evidence that Jesus and the original Aramaic Christians were vegetarians. Dueling gospel traditions, pro-meat and pro-veg. What about those pesky fishes and loaves? textual variations in gospel manuscripts. Was John the Baptist really a bug eater? Did he really eat locusts? Christianity before Paul, the original Hebrew Christians or Ebionites, and the Essene connection. Two thousand years ago, the Essene branch of Judaism was not only kosher but vegetarian. The biblical basis for vegetarianism There have always been denominations in Judaism and Christianity that have advocated vegetarianism, just based on one of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not kill. They had no access to Clementine homilies or Ebionite gospels, but they found in the book of Genesis a vegetarian ideal and a prophesied ideal of vegetarianism in the book of Isaiah, the biblical basis for vegetarianism. A reflection about St. Paul's leniency for new converts. We may yet sign up the Apostle Paul to the vegetarian cause. Uncovering a vegetarian Yeshua, or Jesus, at the beginning of Christianity. You'll hear vegetarian sayings of Jesus. Jesus stopping animal sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem. The uninformed Sunday school notion of the disciples of Jesus forever remaining fishermen lives on in the minds of many, but we can find grown-up disciples eventually becoming apostles, assuming leadership roles of various communities in the Jesus movement. Hear the veg sayings of the apostles, or about the apostles. John never ate meat. James, the brother of the Lord, lived on seeds and plants, and neither touched meat nor wine. The Apostle Thomas, he continuously fasts and prays, and abstains from the eating of flesh. The Apostle Matthew partook of seeds and nuts, hard-shelled fruits and vegetables without flesh. The Apostle Peter said, I live on olives and bread, to which I rarely only add vegetables. Peter also said the unnatural eating of flesh meats is as polluting as the heathen worship of devils. Jesus' family was vegetarian. James the Just, brother of Jesus, head apostle and next leader of the church of Jerusalem, 
was a vegetarian. Church fathers and other later voices affirming the existence of this early veg tradition of Christianity, the faith once delivered to the saints. Like, for instance, St. Jerome, who said, The consumption of animal flesh was unknown up until the Great Flood, but since the Great Flood we have had animal flesh stuffed into our mouths. Jesus the Christ, who appeared when the time was fulfilled, again joined the end to the beginning, so that we now no longer are allowed to eat animal flesh. Interfaith love, an Ebionite Christian author, had very nice things to say about those in India who worship one God, follow peaceful customs and laws, and are vegetarian, and actually technically vegan because there are no references to milk or dairy products in these writings. So actually plant-based diet or vegan. The Gnostics were vegetarian. The vegetarian prayer of thanksgiving in the Nag Hammadi Library in Corpus Hermeticum. Texts that I do not cite I discuss briefly. What about those modern-day Essene Gospels of Peace? I do not include them on my list of texts that I cite as evidence for the vegetarianism of Christianity. Why don't I include the Essene Gospels of Peace or the Essene Humane Gospel? And what about those groups that call themselves Essene? The term Essene versus the more accurate term Ebionite. I also do not use the Gospel of Isa. I do not cite that. Another text I avoid, but briefly discuss. I do briefly discuss the Gospel of Isa and the question about, did Jesus travel to India? And finally, wisdom from the East, the spiritual and ethical reasons why saints advocate following a non-violent vegetarian or vegan diet. I hope you enjoy both of these programs on the subject of the vegetarianism of early Christianity, a vegetarian Jesus and apostles at the beginning of Christianity, the Gospels of the Ebionites, the Hebrew Christians. Evidence for a Vegetarian Jesus at the Beginning of Christianity, today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. This is a topic I've touched upon before. Today's program is an updated version based on new research and a new article I'm having published on the subject of vegetarianism and early Christianity. Evidence that Jesus and the original Aramaic Christians were vegetarians. Not just kosher, but they were closer to the Essenes and followed a vegetarian diet. They were the grandchildren of the Essenes, if you will. And so they weren't just kosher because they were Jewish. They were vegetarians because of their closeness to the Essenian branch of Judaism 2,000 years ago. If you only have the letters of Paul in the New Testament to go by and nothing else, you will notice, or you can notice if you are a discerning person, that Paul is having an argument with others in early Christianity, and his letters date back to around 50 AD, so that really is quite early. You will notice that he was having an argument, Paul was having an argument with others in early Christianity over diet. He was fighting with some vegetarian Christians, 
and these vegetarian Christians were of a Jewish orientation. They were coming from a branch of the Jesus movement, or were the Jesus movement, with a very Jewish kind of orientation, not from another faction of Gentile Roman Christians. On today's program, we'll find out who those mysterious people were. Pythagoras is described as one of the great sages of the Western world and an ancient advocate for going veg. Pythagoras once said, as long as man continues to be the ruthless destroyer of living beings, he will never know health or peace. For as long as men massacre animals, they will kill each other. Indeed, he who sows the seed of murder and pain cannot reap joy and love. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing will benefit human health and increase chances for survival of life on earth as much as the evolution to a vegetarian diet. This is from a saying of Jesus, not from a Latin or Greek manuscript, but from the old Syriac Aramaic manuscript of the Gospel of Luke. Be on guard, so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh. This is a saying of Jesus from Matthew chapter 9. Go and find out what is meant by the scripture that says, It is kindness that I want not animal sacrifices. There Jesus is actually referring to a passage from the Hebrew scriptures about abolishing animal sacrifice in Judaism. Today you will encounter vegetarian sayings of Jesus from many sources, canonical and extra-canonical, along with a collection of passages revealing that the apostolic leadership of the original Jesus movement were also vegetarians following in the footsteps of their spiritual master. In addition, I include examples of pro-veg passages from even some of those early church fathers, those orthodox church fathers, and from many other writings too. The carnistic premise or bias of Western church tradition about eating meat is really based on European dietary customs quite independent of the Jesus movement, quite uninformed about what Hebrew Christians taught or had for a dietary code thousands of years ago. But they have made use of a couple of verses from the Orthodox New Testament in order to basically reinforce their already established preference for eating meat. For those not acquainted with Judeo-Christian history and the various collections of writings or scriptures from the early centuries A.D., at first glance, or at least on the surface, it appears that Jesus ate fish and John the Baptist dined on insects. Certainly, European Christianity enjoys portraying it that way. The uninformed Sunday school notion of the disciples of Jesus forever remaining fishermen lives on in the minds of many. When it comes to vegetarianism and Christianity, the first question people always ask is, in the scriptures, aren't there passages describing Jesus as serving fish on a couple of occasions, as well as eating lamb during the Jewish holiday known as the Passover? They have inherited the belief that Jesus was a meat-eating Messiah. Some might also 
Cite a verse about John the Baptist eating insects or locusts. Dueling gospel traditions, pro-meat and pro-veg. This is something that has come up in several different world religions, actually. For instance, in Buddhism, there are two traditions within Buddhism, pro-meat and pro-vegetarian. Each have their own sutras, or scriptures. Buddha says, okay to eat meat. Buddha says, it's a sin to eat meat. You know, take your pick. The same is historically true with Christianity. The original Jesus movement, or Hebrew Christians, sometimes called the Aramaic Christians, sometimes they're called the poor, or Ebionite, or Nazareans, with their Gospels versus scriptures and Gospels associated with Paul and what evolved into the Roman Church of the West. The Gospel of the Hebrews and Gospel of the Ebionites describe a vegetarian ethos at the beginning of Christianity. A vegetarian Jesus and vegetarian apostles, or at least they became vegetarian apostles. A John the Baptist who ate carob or locust beans, beans not bugs. And a rejection of ritual animal sacrifice, be it in pagan temples or the Jewish temple of Jerusalem. For the followers of Paul, dropping the vegetarian dietary requirement of the Jesus movement was a way to make it much easier to get more converts from around the Roman Empire. In Sikhism as well, we see a similar kind of shift away from the earlier vegetarian ethics of the founder, in this case Guru Nanak, in that case uh, Guru Nanak, towards meat-eating gradually getting adopted by Orthodox Sikhism after the time of the 10th Sikh Guru. In each of these cases, the original spiritual movements were vegetarian, but later versions of these paths eventually accommodated the diet of the larger cultures around them, swelling their ranks. In other words, the Romans, when they converted to Christianity, brought their diet with them. For most, living their busy lives and not interested in difficult research anyway, this is an all-too-complicated history of Passover lambs eaten or not eaten, depending on who you talk to, locusts versus locust beans, and other fishy choices made by certain gospel manuscript copyists, adding extra servings of fish to the menu. Most stay stuck with whatever diet and beliefs they've grown up with, change or metanoia is not their way. So on the question of diet, they just see what they wish to see, and change shall never be. Those on a spiritual quest seeking truth are sometimes more flexible and willing to change. Only a compassionate heart will figure this out. What about those pesky loaves and fishes? The original version of the feeding of the multitude story only refers to bread, not bread with fish. Fish apparently got added to some gospel verses later on. Keith Akers, who has devoted much research into this question, points out the existence of different versions of the biblical story, the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the multitude. He says, if you look at 
other accounts of the same incident. If you look, for instance, or for example, at the early church fathers who also talk about the feeding of the 5,000, Irenaeus mentions the feeding of the 5,000, Eusebius also mentions that, and another early church writer also discusses Jesus' feeding of the multitude. And in every case, they discuss the bread, but they don't mention anything about fish. So I think fish is a later addition, he says. He also goes on to say, in fact, if you even look at the New Testament, it says at another point, when Jesus is talking about the feeding of the 5,000, he says, don't you remember when I fed the multitudes and all the bread we took up? And he doesn't mention the fish. <laughs> That's Keith Akers. See his website, CompassionateSpirit.com, and his book was Jesus a Vegetarian. Matthew 16, nines, loaves without any mention of fish. Quote, Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? Unquote. No fish. No fish included with the loaves there. The same is also true with a similar or parallel reference in Mark chapter 8. No fishes with the loaves. Irenaeus lived during the second century and described in detail the miracle of the multitude being fed with bread. No mention whatsoever of fish. Eusebius and other early historians mention the loaves but not the loaves and fishes. And when I looked into this further, I found two more references in early Christian apocryphal writings to the feeding of the 5,000. And again, reference is made to bread, but not the fish. As if in the New Testament they were reading at the time, the feeding of the 5,000 didn't include fish because fish hadn't been inserted into Greek gospel manuscripts yet, my guess. As it now stands, in the New Testament Gospels, the bread is everywhere present, but the fish only sometimes, says Keith Akers. This strongly suggests that the original tradition was about the distribution of bread, not bread with fish. There actually are many examples of textual variations, they're known as, in the diversity of New Testament manuscripts where Words or phrases being are either being added or omitted. In New Testament manuscripts, while there are some textual variations throughout, all the way, you know, to the book of Revelation, by far the majority of variations occur with the four Gospels and the book of Acts. The most spectacular example of textual variations is at the end of the Gospel of Mark, which has several different alternate endings depending on what manuscript one happens to be using. Some have a longer ending, others a shorter ending. You know, a, a basically there's a chapter that's in some manuscripts but missing from others. Sometimes just a few added verses of Mark chapter 16. You know, different, you know, quite a quite a bit of a different ending depending on which manuscript you're using. So it's interesting to notice that fishes are not always included with the loaves in the various accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. In any case, 
as the saying goes, it's not where you've been, it's where you're going. Many of us have changed our diet upon adopting a spiritual path or converting to a, a different religion. While several of the disciples are clearly described in the Gospels as having been fishermen, and there are references to fish in the New Testament Gospels, we find Jesus saying to his new friends, Come. He says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people, fishers of souls, in other words. So rather than remaining fishermen, perhaps operating some sort of imagined Jesus fish company of Galilee, some sort of lifelong career as fishermen, in other words, rather than that, what we do find is those individuals adopting a new spiritual path, being transformed into disciples, and eventually even becoming spiritual teachers, successors of Jesus. St. Mark is credited for Egyptian Christianity. Thomas, the Apostle of the East, who ends up in India, according to the Acts of Thomas, and so on. Rather than more fish metaphors, a variety of different sources in early Christianity described these apostles as becoming vegetarians. As they got older, as they became part of this Jesus movement, and eventually ended up being founders of various spiritual communities as successors of Christ, focused on the teachings of Jesus, establishing churches in different areas of the world. And there are quotes attributed to all of these apostles that are veg, very clearly veg. Quote, John never ate meat, unquote. Quote, James, the brother of the Lord, lived on seeds and plants and touched neither meat nor wine, unquote. The apostle Thomas continually fasted and prayed and abstained from the eating of flesh, unquote. The Apostle Matthew partook of seeds and nuts, hard-shelled fruits and vegetables without flesh, unquote. Peter said, quote, I live on olives and bread, to which I rarely only add vegetables, unquote. And another passage attributed to Peter, the unnatural eating of flesh meats is as polluting as the heathen worship of devils, unquote. So, whether they were fishermen or not, I'm sure they were, some of them uh, are described as fishermen eating fish early on. You know, if you get to know early Christian writings, you discover some very clear references to these folks becoming advocates for vegetarianism and described as being vegetarians. Surprise! I find it surprising even now that we have that much information. I, f I don't remember what I had for lunch last Tuesday, you know? And here we have scriptures, we have passages and a variety of sources, and I have the chapters, the verses, the footnotes in my article uh, on those passages, all of these veg passages from early Christianity, and that's what we're delving into on today's edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio. Wherever you've been, it's where you're going that counts. So, yes, some of them were fishermen, but they seem to have become vegetarians. According to the Gospel of the Ebionites, Jesus rejected the Passover meal, saying, quote, I have no desire to eat the flesh of this paschal lamb, 
with you, unquote. In the Ebionite scriptures, the folks that Paul was arguing with, the disciples that uh, Paul was arguing with, in the Ebionite scriptures, there are no descriptions, no more descriptions of young disciples of Jesus being involved in fishing or eating fish. In the Ebionite scriptures, there are no accounts of Jesus eating fish or miracles of multitudes being fed fish. There are no descriptions of Jesus consuming the flesh of any animal. Rather, those sayings of Jesus contain condemnations of eating meat. Furthermore, in the Ebionite scriptures, Jesus condemned animal sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem and sought to forever bring that practice to an end. The Ebionite or Hebrew gospel quotes Jesus as saying, I have come to abolish the sacrifices. Was John the Baptist really a bug eater? <laughs> I like having fun with this one because, you know, eating bugs is extra caveman weird, right? Another example of translators deliberately trying to add meat to the menu, the canon of scripture, is the strange case of John the Baptist and his alleged diet of locusts. This is from Wiki Answers. There have been a long-standing confusion, or there has been rather, a long-standing confusion in the origin of the word locust. Locust is both a bean from the carob plant and an insect. The Greek word for cakes or bread made from the flour of the carob bean is spelled E-G-K-R-I-D-E-S. And the Greek word for locust, the insect, is A-K-R-I-D-E-S. So you see, a translator, someone copying a manuscript who's not from the Middle East, perhaps doesn't know Aramaic, could, I think, make a mistake like that and choose the wrong word. John the Baptist, it goes on to say, belonged to a group of ascetics who believed in repentance and in leading an austere lifestyle. We can conclude that John the Baptist ate locust plant seed from the carob tree, unquote. Wiki answers the entry for John the Baptist. After the break, I will continue talking about John the Baptist. Was he a bug eater or a carob bean consumer? The scholar Bart Ehrman weighs in on the vegetarianism of John the Baptist, as does the scholar Robert Eisenman. We'll continue exploring the vegetarian references in early Christianity. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned for more after these messages. for a vegetarian Jesus at the beginning of Christianity today on Spiritual Awakening Radio an exploration of some amazing vegetarian references in early Christianity according to the Hebrew Ebionite Gospels John the Baptist really ate locust or carob beans and carob bean flour this is from the scholar Bart Ehrman weighing in on this question 
quote, probably the most interesting of the changes from the familiar New Testament accounts of Jesus comes in the Gospel of the Ebionites, description of John the Baptist, who evidently, like his successor Jesus, maintained a strictly vegetarian cuisine, unquote. That's a fascinating quote. John the Baptist was vegetarian like Jesus. Bart Ehrman, page 102 of his book, Lost Christianities, The Battle for Scripture, and the faiths we never knew. The scholar Robert Eisenman weighs in on this question of vegetarianism as well in his 1,000-page book on James the Just, a book called James, the Brother of Jesus, saying, quote, John was both a Rechabite or a Nazarite and vegetarian. One suggestion is that John ate carobs, and then he goes on to describe one early church father railing against the Ebionite gospel, saying that in it is a passage claiming that John ate wild honey and manna-like vegetarian cakes dipped in oil, and how terrible it was that it had a different account in the gospel of the Ebionites, omitting any reference to eating uh, bugs, John the Baptist not eating bugs and how that must mean that this is a terrible corruption, a, a false gospel. Robert Eisenman says, John would have been one of those wilderness-dwelling, vegetable-eating persons, page 326. They, the Nazari, ate nothing but wild fruit and honey, probably the same food that John the Baptist also ate. We have already seen how, in some traditions, carobs were said to have been the true composition of John's food, unquote, page 403. And also this quote, his or John's diet was stems, roots, and fruits. Like James and other Nazarites or Rechabites, he is presented as a vegetarian, unquote. Robert Eisenman and his thousand-page book, James, the Brother of Jesus. Christianity before Paul, the original Hebrew Christians or Ebionites, and the Essene connection. The editing out of vegetarian sayings, we'll get to that in a bit, about the Aramaic New Testament versus the Greek. The adding of fish to the feeding of the 5,000 in 2nd century Greek manuscripts and translators choosing the word locust instead of locust bean or carob making John the Baptist into someone who ate bugs are all troubling examples of slanting the tradition and even the translations adding meat to the menu. We know that Roman culture and later European church traditions were okay with eating meat but what interests me however is the diet of Jesus and the first Christians, not the dietary preferences of Roman translators of manuscripts and leaders in Europe centuries later. It needs to be said that the familiar Western or European canon of Scripture, seemingly allied with St. Paul, does not even claim to be representing the teachings of the apostles, the original inner circle of disciples of Jesus, the first Christians, what I call Christianity before Paul. 
Paul, as we know, did advocate that it was okay for new converts to eat meat, but he himself supplies us with evidence in his own letters or epistles dating back to the early decades of the first century, around 50 AD, that others in early Christianity disagreed with him about diet and many other issues. Paul dropped the vegetarian requirement for his new Gentile converts. If you read his New Testament epistle or letter to the Galatians closely, you can notice there was quite a bit of tension between Paul and the original Jesus movement based in Jerusalem, the others. In his writings, Paul gives them left-handed compliments, calls them weak of the circumcision, or even Judaizers. Clearly, he was not close to them, but had a strained, frosty, distant, awkward relationship with the original disciples of Jesus. But, you know, they're the original disciples of Jesus. Given their credibility and affiliation with Jesus, Paul really couldn't come, come out and condemn them, couldn't call them false, couldn't denounce them. But he does greatly marginalize them. They are barely mentioned at all. There's a few short writings not authored by Paul near the end at the back of the book, at the back of the New Testament. Not many of their scriptures got included in the New Testament. Uh, for instance, James the Just was Paul's elder, but his epistle, his letter, is placed near the back of the book. It's like he's in the back of the auditorium, not in the front, if you know what I mean not getting a whole lot of respect, in other words. Those in the Jerusalem part of the Jesus movement, Jesus' own family and spiritual successors, headed by the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus and next leader of the Aramaic-speaking Jerusalem community, were vegetarians. They disagreed with Paul's sect about diet, believing that Jewish and Gentile followers, including new converts, should all be vegetarians and have nothing whatsoever to do with religious rituals pertaining to animal sacrifice. Quote, eating meat that had been sacrificed to pagan idols, unquote. So how could it be that Jesus' own family, the actual group of direct disciples, would have it all wrong about diet? And forms of Christianity claiming succession from Paul, founded decades and even centuries later on, got it right. The truth of the matter is that the Hebrew Gospels did not portray Jesus as eating fish or Passover lamb, and in those Gospels, John the Baptist did not eat insects. Paul's group and those sects that emerged later on in Europe claiming succession from Paul had their literature and teachings and theology, but so did the Ebionites, the Hebrew Christians. There were pro-meat Gospels, as we know, but there were also pro-vegetarian Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, as well as the Hebrew Logia of Matthew, the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Gospel of the Nazareans, and the Gospel of the Ebionites, as well as other Ebionite literature, including a vast treasure trove of surviving writings known as the Clementine homilies and the recognitions of Clement, a kind of Ebionite Book of Acts. After the break, I want to describe the Clementine literature 
and delve into the biblical basis of vegetarianism. There have been vegetarian Christian religious movements uh, around for a long, long time without any knowledge of the Clementine homilies or Gospel of the Ebionites. They were just basing it on the Old and New Testaments. The biblical basis for vegetarianism coming up next. Stay tuned for more Spiritual Awakening Radio. A reflection about St. Paul's leniency for new converts. In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, If what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again, as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. What if we can sign up Paul to the vegetarian cause after all? I mean, sure, he didn't get along with the Jesus movement, very well, and if you read the Clementine homilies, they didn't really uh, care for him either. They had a very frosty relationship. They met with him a couple of times, at least. But from our modern-day perspective, we can enjoy the wisdom of both, right? We can enjoy the gnosis of Paul and be amazed to learn about these Hebrew Christians and what they were teaching and their scriptures, their writings. We have that luxury. We can choose both. We don't have to necessarily take sides, reject one, and follow the other. As we will see next week, the Gnostics were vegetarians, as well as some of those early Catholic or Orthodox church fathers. Both the Orthodox and the Gnostics held Paul in extremely high regard. So, how could Paul really have been the enemy the opponent of vegetarian Christians. Maybe he wasn't? Can we sign up Paul for the vegetarian cause after all? Perhaps at the heart of his dispute with the original disciples of Jesus and Jerusalem apostles was how he wished to structure his new community of Gentile converts. Some in early Christianity did develop a two-fold or two-level organizational approach, consisting of, one, new converts to the faith, sometimes described as hearers of the word, and two, the elect, those initiates of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, more mature, who were, quote, being perfected in love and knowledge, unquote, adhering to a stricter discipline that included vegetarianism. Some successors of Paul certainly did follow this two-fold or two-tiered approach in their communities, including the part about the elect initiates adhering to a vegetarian diet. I personally suspect that Paul did too. The Hebrew Christians, however, did not have a two-tiered format one for new converts or Gentile believers to have a transitional or grace period and another for Jews more established in wisdom and knowledge. They only had the one level and ethical standard for all. 
But I think Paul had that mystery school two-tiered approach of hearers of the word, new converts, a looser ethical code for a while, and a stricter code for those more mature in the faith. I, I really think we can sign up Paul to the vegetarian cause, that he was organizing his group that way, and that was really at the heart of his dispute. He had a different way of doing things. Wouldn't be the first time someone had, um, you know, gotten into some argument with others about how they wanted to do things or run their organization. I want to share about the biblical basis for vegetarianism. There have been vegetarian Jewish and vegetarian Christian denominations since the beginning of time, or at least the beginning of recorded history, and many of those, you know, have had no knowledge of Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of the Ebionites, Gospel of the Hebrews, Clementine homilies. They've had no knowledge of those writings and yet still found a way in their own tradition, based on their own scriptures, to become vegetarian to advocate vegetarianism and see it as the highest ideal of their faith. The biblical basis for vegetarianism. The Genesis ideal presented in the early chapters of the Hebrew Bible is vegetarian. The plant-based diet of Eden. Genesis 129. Behold, I have given you every seed-bearing herb which is upon the surface of the entire earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit. It will be yours for food. Hebrew Book of Genesis 1.29, a translation quoted at a vegetarian Kabbalah website. Only after the fall of man and post-flood phases begin is there meat-eating according to Genesis and ritual animal sacrifice. Quite often spiritual movements advocating going back to Eden, re-entering a heavenly paradise, entering into a golden age, a millennium, a kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God or mystical reunion with God, include vegetarianism as part of their spiritual path. From the beginning and across many centuries, there have always been vegetarian Jewish movements. The Nazarites, the Essenes, Sethians, Therapeutae, and many others. I have an article, I can send you a link to it, called Meet the Children of the Dawn, the Vegetarian Therapeutae Movement Within Judaism. The Therapeutae probably was a branch of Essenism in Alexandria, Egypt. Probably their connection goes back to the Essenes. A bit unclear, but they were very vegetarian. That part is clear, as there are descriptions of what they ate. I can send you the link. The Essenes were one of the three major branches of Judaism 2,000 years ago and predates Jesus and Christianity by at least a couple of centuries. During the first century AD, the Essenes were opposed to animal sacrifices being made in the Jerusalem temple, the Jewish temple, and they were known to be vegetarians. 
The Essenes were the group that Jesus and the first Christians, the Ebionites, were closest to, sharing with them the same values, sacred texts. Unlike the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Essenes are never criticized in the New Testament. The Hebrew church was largely populated by Messianic Essenes that converted to the Jesus movement. This earlier Essene movement within Judaism adhered to a vegetarian diet and had also been opposed to animal sacrifice in the Temple of Jerusalem. That is the context within Judaism. The Essenes of Dead Sea Scrolls fame, the John the Baptist group, the Mandaean Gnostics, also known as the Nazareans or Nazari. And the Jesus movement had much in common and are related to each other. For instance, followers of the original Jesus movement are sometimes called Ebionites. But that term Ebionite also turns up in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scholars continue to debate the exact nature of the relationship between these various uh, related cousin groups. In any case, these groups shared many of the same values, scriptures, and spiritual beliefs. Stay tuned for more spiritual awakening after this break. basis for vegetarianism continued. A vegetarian ideal is described by the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The prophecy described in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, foresees a return to a vegetarian world like that described in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis back to Eden, where the cow, bear, snake, and the children of humanity coexist in peace. For the Essene branch of Judaism of Dead Sea Scrolls fame, the book of Isaiah was a very central text. Many copies of it were discovered at the Essene Library of Qumran, the Dead Sea Scroll discovery. Isaiah was a favorite text of the Jesus movement as well, those Hebrew Christians, the Ebionites along with another book known as The Ascension of Isaiah. Dr. Will Tuttle, author of The World Peace Diet, once told me in an interview that for the most of the last 2,000 years, those who have been either vegans or vegetarians have been given the nickname Pythagoreans, until relatively recently in history, when terms like vegan and vegetarian got coined. Such has been the lasting legacy of Pythagoras upon the West. Though in the Greek world of antiquity the Pythagoreans were a significant influence on many were major voices and advocates of vegetarianism and discontinuing religious ritual animal sacrifices in various pagan temples, from passages like Genesis 129, Isaiah 11, Hosea 6.6, and others, one can understand why Jews and Christians during the late B.C. and early A.D. period could easily see a biblical basis for their vegetarianism. Indeed, since that time, there have been many Jewish and Christian groups that have advocated a vegetarian diet. 
seeing vegetarianism as the ideal in their own scriptural tradition. Without any access to Clementine homilies or Gospel of the Hebrews or importing teachings from some other religion or the philosophy of Pythagoras. In other words, they see it in their own biblical tradition. They see vegetarianism in their own scriptures. If the way of peaceful vegetarianism is the divine ideal, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, why put it off for millennia, relegating it to some faraway time in the deep distant future? Why not follow the examples of the Essenes and Ebionites and Adventists and many others and step into this vegetarian ideal today? Hashtag assisting Isaiah. Hashtag back to Eden. Uncovering a vegetarian Jesus or Yeshua at the beginning of Christianity. This is a fascinating passage from St. Jerome. Not considered to be a heretic or Gnostic, but an early church father. Hieronymus, also known as St. Jerome, said the consumption of animal flesh was unknown up until the Great Flood. But since the great flood, we have had animal flesh stuffed into our mouths. Jesus the Christ, who appeared when the time was fulfilled, again joined the end to the beginning, so that we now no longer are allowed to eat animal flesh. A very pro-vegetarian church father by the name of Hieronymus, also known as St. Jerome, who apparently read the Gospel of the Hebrews and was influenced by the Ebionite point of view about vegetarian diet. Epiphanius, an early church father, quotes the Ebionite gospel, finding in it a saying of Jesus, quote, I have come to destroy the sacrifices, referring to the sacrifices in the Jewish temple of Jerusalem. The Ebionite or Hebrew Gospel quotes Jesus as saying, I have come to abolish the sacrifices. According to the Gospel of the Ebionites, Jesus also rejected the Passover meal. Quote, I have no desire to eat the flesh of this Paschal lamb with you. Unquote. Keith Akers, in his book, Was Jesus a Vegetarian, said, The dispute over vegetarianism in the early church shows that the leadership of the Jerusalem church was vegetarian. The latter history of Jewish Christianity indicates that Jewish Christianity was vegetarian and preserved this tradition of defending animals. Jesus' attack on the animal sacrifice business demonstrates that Jesus himself shared these views. In the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 2, is described the famous account of Jesus driving out the money changers, overturning the tables of the money changers in the Jewish temple of Jerusalem. He also freed animals that were destined to be sacrificed, liberating cattle, sheep, and doves. Most people remember the part about Jesus overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple, but the pro-meat bias most have inherited makes it more difficult to get the significance of the anti-animal sacrifice 
freeing the animals aspect of the story. Go and find out what it means by the scriptures that say, it is kindness that I want, not animal sacrifices. Jesus from Matthew chapter 9, referring to a passage from the Hebrew scriptures, Hosea 6.6. And finally, a saying of Jesus from Aramaic Luke, a vegetarian saying of Jesus in the old Syriac Aramaic manuscript of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Be on guard so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh and with the intoxication of wine and with the anxiety of the world. To receive a link to my article on vegetarianism in early Christianity, to receive a link to my article on the Therapeutae, the Jewish mystical group I referred to earlier, send an email to me at this address, james at spiritualawakeningradio.com, james at spiritualawakeningradio.com, or you can send a text message to me at this number, 508-603-9381. On next week's program, I'll pick up where I left off and we'll delve into the vegetarian references to the apostles, covering the apostles and lots more on part two next week. Tune in again next week at this same time for another edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. This week's program represents a continuation of last week's program exploring the vegetarianism of Jesus, the Apostles, and early Christianity. The Jesus movement, sometimes called the Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians, or the Ebionites. I heard a lecture recently by Professor Bart Ehrman on the Ebionites. It's a fascinating subject. It's fascinating to learn about these Jewish Christians. Christianity before Paul, Christianity before the Romans, and to learn of their vegetarianism. Most people assume because they were Jewish, they must be kosher. They must have been following a kosher diet because Orthodox Judaism today is kosher. But not so. They were vegetarian. Professor Bart Ehrman, in his book Lost Christianities, page 11, writes, Jesus was, for the Ebionites, the perfect sacrifice for all sins. No more sacrifices needed to be made. In the ancient world, most people ate meat only after it had been sacrificed in a religious ceremony. For this reason, the Ebionites became vegetarian. The Vegetarianism of Jesus and Early Christianity today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. 
uncovering a vegetarian Yeshua or Jesus at the beginning of Christianity. The early church father Epineus quotes their gospel, the Ebionite or Hebrew gospel, as ascribing these words to Jesus, I have come to destroy the sacrifices. That's from Panarion 30.16.5. And as ascribing to Jesus' rejection of the Passover meat, Panarion 30.22.4. And these are analogous to numerous passages found in the Clementine literature, the recognitions and homilies of Clement. The following is from the Book of Recognitions 139. He had foretold that he should warn them by the mercy of God to cease from sacrificing, lest haply they might suppose that on the cessation of sacrifice there was no remission of sins for them. He instituted baptism by water amongst them, in which they might be absolved from all their sins on the invocation of his name, and for the future, following a perfect life, might abide in immortality, being purified not by the blood of beasts, but by the purification of the wisdom of God. A paragraph found in the Book of Recognitions, 139. The Clementine literature represents a giant Ebionite Book of Acts and is the largest surviving collection of vegetarian Ebionite literature that survives the centuries. And they're online. You can read them for free. Listen for my email address or text message number later on. I can send you links to the Clementine literature. The Ebionite or Hebrew gospel quotes Jesus as saying, I have come to abolish the sacrifices. According to the gospel of the Ebionites, Jesus also rejected the Passover meal. He said, I have no desire to eat the flesh of this paschal lamb with you, unquote. Jesus stopping animal sacrifice in the temple, picking up where I left off last week, discussing this particular passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Those, To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. That's from the regular New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 2. As I mentioned last week, most remember the part about Jesus overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple, but the pro-meat bias most have inherited makes it more difficult to get the significance of the anti-animal sacrifice, freeing the animals aspect of the story. Go and find out what is meant by the scripture that says, It is kindness that I want, not animal sacrifices. Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, using the Good News translation. Here Jesus was referring to a passage in the Hebrews 
scriptures, Hebrew Bible, that was very popular with the Essenes, the vegetarian branch of Judaism that rejected sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem. Hosea 6.6 is the passage that is actually from. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings, unquote. There is a vegetarian saying of Jesus in the old Syriac Aramaic manuscript of the Gospel of Luke. Be on guard so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh and with the intoxication of wine and with the anxiety of the world. It's interesting that the part about being heavy, the hearts becoming heavy with the eating of flesh is not included in the Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of Luke. It's only in the Syriac Aramaic. I find that extremely interesting. I find that very curious indeed. One of the earliest Ebionite Christian documents is the Clementine Homilies, a work based on the teachings of St. Peter and also allied with James the Just, the brother of Jesus. This is a quote attributed to the Apostle Peter, found in the Clementine homilies. The unnatural eating of flesh meats is as polluting as the heathen worship of devils with its sacrifices and its impure feasts. Through participation in it, a man becomes a fellow eater with devils. A very feisty passage that reminds me a little bit of Kabir poetry from India. The most aggressive poems of Kabir are directed against the eating of meat and the slaughter of innocent animals. And there is that sort of quality of uh, aggressiveness in that particular passage also by Peter. Paul, however, was okay with the practice of eating meat sacrificed to idols that came from various pagan temples in antiquity. But like their Essene ancestors, the original Jesus movement categorically rejected this. The author of the book of Revelation included in the New Testament also denounced this practice. See the book of Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 through 17 on rejecting eating meat that had been sacrificed in temples. The vegetarian apostles, the leadership of the original Jesus movement, as I shared on last week's program, if Jesus was vegetarian, if Jesus's brother was vegetarian, why wouldn't the apostles or the disciples be vegetarian too? The first followers of Jesus, also known as Ebionites, were not only kosher, but also strictly adhered to a vegetarian diet. The largest surviving collection of Ebionite scriptures is the Clementine homilies and recognitions of Clement, which are vegetarian gospels that condemn animal sacrifice in any form. For example, the book of homilies states that God does not want animals killed at all, period, and condemns those who eat meat. And the passage below also shows that the Ebionites' diet was actually vegan, plant-based because there's no reference ever to eating eggs, dairy, no animal products whatsoever. No milk, no cheese, no dairy, therefore vegan. 
And the things which are well-pleasing to God are these, to pray to Him, to ask from Him, recognizing that He is the giver of all things, and gives with discriminating law, to abstain from the table of devils, to not taste dead flesh, not to touch blood, to be washed from all pollution, and the rest in one word, as the God-fearing Jews have heard, do you also hear and be of one mind in many bodies. Let each man be minded to do to his neighbor those good things he wishes for himself." Unquote. A quote from the Clementine Homilies 7.4. More from the Apostle Peter. Peter said, I live on olives and bread, to which I rarely only add vegetables. That's from Clementine Homilies 12.6, and is also found in the Book of Recognitions 7.6. The Homilies and the Recognitions are two parallel texts, almost duplicate copies, you know, almost identical things, or two different versions of the same thing, like Matthew and Mark, or Matthew and Luke. And again, listen later on for my email address or contact information, and I can send you links to the Clementine homilies. And the earlier quoted vegetarian verse attributed to Peter is worth repeating again. The unnatural eating of flesh meats is as polluting as the heathen worship of devils with its sacrifices and its impure feasts. The Apostle Matthew and happiness is found in the practice of virtue. Accordingly, the Apostle Matthew partook of seeds and nuts, hard-shelled fruits and vegetables without flesh. That's a passage from the early church father Clement of Alexandria from The Instructor, Book 2, Chapter 1. Clement of Alexandria is an interesting person, has a lot of uh, intriguing things to say, an interesting early church father. The Apostle Thomas, also a vegetarian, he continuously fasts and prays, and abstaining from the eating of flesh and the drinking of wine, he eats only bread with salt, drinks only water, and wears the same garment in fine weather and in winter accepting nothing from anyone, and gives whatever he has to others. A passage from the Acts of Thomas, chapter 20. This is from Eusebius, the History of the Church, section 2, 2 3. John never ate meat. James the Just, brother of Jesus, head apostle and next leader of the church, the original Jerusalem group, was a vegetarian. Jesus had a brother. He's referred to by scholars and historians as James the Just. According to a wide variety of sources, James became Jesus' spiritual successor, the next leader of this group, referred to as the Hebrew Christians or Ebionites. James was a vegetarian. Professor Robert Eisenman, in his 1,000-page book, James the Just, The Key to Unlocking the Secrets of Early Christianity and the Dead Sea Scrolls, said that James was a vegetarian. James, the brother of the Lord, lived on seeds and plants and touched neither meat nor wine. Another early Christian quote, 
and from the history of the church of Eusebius, book 2, chapter 23, James, the brother of the Lord, was holy from his mother's womb, and he drank no wine, nor strong drink, nor did he eat flesh, unquote. And furthermore, wouldn't everyone in Jesus' family, brothers and sisters, be following the same diet and ethical code? On what planet would parents raise one child vegetarian from birth, but another gets raised as a meat-eater? You know, that is just something you'd never hear about, right? Keith Akers makes some great observations in his article, Was Jesus a Vegetarian? Quote, Eusebius says that James, the brother of Jesus, was a vegetarian, and in fact was evidently raised as a vegetarian, you know, from birth, from the womb, quote-unquote. According to the Ecclesiastical History of the Church 2.23. So, why would Jesus' parents have raised James as a vegetarian unless they were vegetarian themselves and raised Jesus as a vegetarian as well? And then he quotes Eusebius from the history of the church as saying, quote, all the apostles abstained from meat and wine, unquote. So like the earlier passages I shared, that says that same thing. They abstained from meat and wine. Multiple sources saying the same thing. And James became the successor of Christ and next leader of the Jesus movement. The Gospel of Thomas saying 12, the disciple said to Jesus, We are aware that you will depart from us. Who will be our leader? Jesus said to them, No matter where you come from, it is to James the just that you must go, for whose sake heaven and earth have come to exist. From the Gospel of Thomas, saying 12, I view the Gospel of Thomas very much as relating to the Ebionites, related to, somehow or another, related to the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Gospel of the Ebionites, because of this verse, uh, saying 12, pu putting it in the James the Just camp, allying itself, allying the book with James the Just as being the true spiritual successor of Christ. Plus, there are other things about the Gospel of Thomas, too. It talks about observing the Sabbath as a Sabbath. That's a very Jewish Christian thing to say. That's one of the sayings found in the Gospel of Thomas. And a couple of other sayings found in the Gospel of Thomas also turn up in quotes attributed to the Gospel of the Hebrews. So I do see some sort of connection between the Gospel of Thomas and the Hebrew Christians Sabbath, James the Just is our guy, and an overlap between sayings attributed to Jesus in Thomas in the Gospel of the Hebrews. Though never seeing eye to eye with the original Jerusalem community on many things, including the issue of meat-eating for his recruits, in his epistles, even Paul the, the Apostle confirms this leadership role of James the Just, the Lord's brother in Jerusalem, and he himself went to visit him to seek his blessings on a couple of occasions. So, in other words, that saying, 
from the Gospel of Thomas, you know, go to go to James, go to James the Just, wherever you are, go to James the Just. The Apostle Paul, according to his letters preserved in the New Testament, did just that. He too went to the Apostle Paul for guidance and blessing on a couple of occasions. Isn't it amazing? I just find those quotes from or about the apostles uh, as being vegetarian to be kind of shocking. When I first uh, learned of them and tracked down the sources, I just found it to be so surprising. St. Peter said, I live on olives and bread, to which I rarely only add vegetables. The unnatural eating of flesh meats is as polluting as the heathen worship of devils. The Apostle Matthew, and happiness is found in the practice of virtue. Accordingly, the Apostle Matthew partook of seeds and nuts, hard-shelled fruits and vegetables without flesh. Unquote. Clement of Alexandria. The Apostle Thomas, he continuously fasts and prays, and abstaining from the eating of flesh and the drinking of wine, he eats only bread with salt, drinks only water, and so on. Acts of Thomas. That's Acts of Thomas in India. That's the famous Acts of Thomas book, chapter 20, about the Apostle Thomas becoming the Apostle to the Indians, traveling all the way to India. The Apostle Thomas is associated with the Church of the East, Syria, Mesopotamia, and points east all the way to India. And there seems to be a lot of agreement about the Apostle Thomas being in India. Everyone thinks that, from Gnostics to Catholics to Manichaeans to, of course, the Indian Christians themselves, the Martama Christians who exist in India to this very day by the millions, they too believe that their church was founded by the Apostle Thomas. According to the church uh, historian Eusebius, John never ate meat. I'm not sure which John, you know, which particular John. I assume the Apostle John, but there are three or four Johns referred to in uh, the early church. So one of them, probably the Apostle John, never ate meat. James the Just was vegetarian from birth, never ate meat, did not eat flesh, quote-unquote. After the break, I want to explore church fathers and other later voices in the third century and just a slightly later period of time also affirming the existence of this early vegetarian tradition of Christianity. More after the break. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned for more about evidence for the vegetarianism of Jesus, the Apostles, and the Jesus Movement. More after these messages. Evidence for the vegetarianism of Jesus, the apostolic leadership of the Hebrew Christians, the Ebionites, today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. Between last week's program and today, 
90 minutes on this subject of the vegetarianism of the original Christians. Christianity before Paul. Jewish Christians before Roman Christians. Christianity before Paul. One minor correction, or slight clarification, it was the Apostle Paul who went to seek out the guidance and blessings of James the Just, not the other way around. I do this show live without editing, so just to be clear, it was Paul who went to James the Just, and I pointed out in the previous segment that there's a saying in the Gospel of Thomas, saying 12, where the disciples ask, who is going to lead us when you depart from us? And the reply from Christ is, wherever you are, go to James the Just, go to James the Just, for whose sake heaven and earth came to be. And the Apostle Paul did that on a couple of occasions. Now, there are multiple sources for this leadership role of James the Just being described. The scholar Robert Eisenman has a 1,000-page book called James the Brother of Jesus, saying the very same thing, tying together multiple sources about James the Just being the leader of the Hebrew Christians. And he says there was even a kind of apostolic succession from James the Just, 18 other successors after James the Just in this Ebionite Hebrew Christian community that once upon a time existed in antiquity. Some other clarifications or corrections to people's perceptions. During this series, I do not cite the Essene Gospel of Peace volumes by Edmund Bordeaux Zeke. They say some great things. There's some nice poetry in there, but they're not ancient texts. There are no Arabic or Greek manuscripts of the Essene Gospel of Peace. It was mostly authored by Edmund Bordeaux-Zeke himself back in the 19... whatever it was, 1920s, 1930s, not taken from some ancient manuscripts found in the basement of the Vatican. So I don't use those. They say some great things, but they belong in the poetry bin, not in the ancient Christian scriptures bin. And also, endeavoring to be accurate and scholarly, making use of undisputed sources of information that are credible only, I do not use the Essene Humane Gospel because that's a 19th century vegetarian gospel that someone wrote that says some great things and does contain quotes from earlier sources. But, again, it's not an ancient text, therefore I do not use it. I do not use channeled writings such as the Aquarian Gospel. And I stay far, far, far away from the Gospel of Isa. There was a book published by a Russian author called The Unknown Life of Jesus the Christ by Nicholas Natanovich. Natanovich said he was traveling in Tibet and went to a monastery and discovered some Pali language text called the Gospel of Isa. But others went to that same Buddhist library in the monastery later on, and they were told, nope, there's never been a book by that title here. And if you look at the Wikipedia entry for the Gospel of Isa or Nicholas Natanovich, it's not looking so good. Not a credible source, not an ancient text, but something that someone made up 
during the 19th century, so therefore I steer very clear, far, far away from that. There is a great veg saying that is attributed to Clement of Alexandria, which I also have not used in this series. It goes something like, don't make your body a graveyard for animals. It says nice things. It's a nice, it's a nice quote, but it is considered apocryphal or not really a quote that is properly attributed to Clement of Alexandria. So it's disputed. Don't need it. Don't use it. You know, it's not a solid thing that scholars would agree upon as being an ancient text from an ancient manuscript or from an early church father quoting something available to them at the time that is found in a Greek or Latin manuscript that dates back thousands of years, many centuries. So, can't use it, and I steer clear of that. I only use the Clementine homilies, the New Testament, and references to the Gospel of the Ebionites and the Gospel of the Hebrews, Gospel of Thomas, those kind of writings which have either ancient manuscripts of them, like the Gospel of Thomas is found in Coptic, and there are a couple of fragmentary Greek editions of the Gospel of Thomas, as well as the Oxyrhynchus editions. And I make use of that, or early church fathers quoting from the Gospel of the Hebrews, that sort of thing. But no channeled writings, no disputed texts. The Church Fathers and other later voices affirming the existence of earlier veg traditions in Christianity. James, the brother of Jesus, lived on seeds and vegetables and did not accept meat or wine. A quote from St. Augustine. The consumption of animal flesh was unknown up until the Great Flood, but since the Great Flood we have had animal flesh stuffed into our mouths. Jesus the Christ, who appeared when the time was fulfilled, again joined the end to the beginning, so that we are now no longer allowed to eat animal flesh. A pro-veg early church father by the name of Hieronymus, also known as St. Jerome, who apparently read the Gospel of the Hebrews and was influenced by Ebionite views. That is the most pro-veg passage of them all, and it's not by a Gnostic source or Ebionite source or apocryphal source. It comes from St. Jerome, recognized in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, also who goes by the name Hieronymus. The consumption of animal flesh was unknown up until the time of the Great Flood. But since the Great Flood, we have had animal flesh stuffed into our mouths. Jesus the Christ, who appeared when the time was fulfilled, again joined the end to the beginning, so that we are now no longer allowed to eat animal flesh. That's an amazing passage from an early church father by the name of St. Jerome or Hieronymus. After the break, more from early church sources and interfaith love from the Clementine homilies. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned for more after these messages. (laughs) 
the vegetarianism of the Jesus movement on today's edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio. Church fathers and other later voices affirming the existence of this early veg tradition. I mentioned already the quote from Augustine or St. Augustine. James, the brother of Jesus, lived off seeds and vegetables and did not accept meat or wine. Here's another version of that Hieronymus quote, another version of the same passage attributed to St. Jerome or Hieronymus. The eating of meat was unknown up to the big flood, but since the flood, they have the strings and stinking juices of animal meat into our mouths, just as they threw in front of the grumbling sensual people in the desert. Jesus Christ, who appeared when the time had been fulfilled, has again joined the end with the beginning, so that it is no longer allowed for us to eat animal meat." Unquote. Clement of Alexandria once said, "...sacrifices were invented by men to be a pretext for eating flesh." Origin of Alexandria, quote, "...was a teetotaler and a vegetarian, and he often fasted for long periods of time." Unquote. The following passage reminds me of something the Buddha once said. The Buddha once said, The eating of meat extinguishes the seed of great compassion. This is from St. Basil the Great, an early church father and heavyweight saint in Eastern Orthodoxy, actually, said the steam of meat meals darkens the spirit. One can hardly have virtue if one enjoys meat meals and feasts. In the earthly paradise, Eden, no one sacrificed animals and no one ate meat. It's also true that in the tradition of saints and mystics, those who develop the third eye center, if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light, third eye, inner vision, the contemplation of heavenly light, all of those spiritual movements, all of those saints and mystics have been vegetarian, as if there really is something about meat that darkens the third eye, that darkens the inner vision. If we are what we eat, being in denial about all the cruelty of flesh eating does extinguish the seed of compassion and may indeed darken the spirit, darken one's inner vision. Interfaith love. The following passage is from the Recognitions of Clement. This Ebionite Christian author has very nice things to say about those in India who worship one God, follow peaceful customs and laws, and are vegetarian or vegan. Imagine, clearly he sees parallels between his own religion and that of his brothers and sisters in the Indian countries. 2,000 years ago, India was not ruled by a central government, but many different, was organized as many different provinces or regions. This is one of the most amazing passages I know of in the extra-canonical scriptures, as it is a rare example of one religion, Ebionite Hebrew Christianity, seeing truth in another religion, Hinduism a rare interfaith moment in human history. The recognitions of Clement and the Clementine homilies are surviving Jewish-Christian texts representing an Ebionite, vegetarian point of view. 
Quote, there are likewise amongst the Bactrians in the Indian countries immense multitudes of Brahmins who also themselves, from the tradition of their ancestors and peaceful customs and laws, neither commit murder nor adultery, nor worship idols, nor have the practice of eating animal food, are never drunk, never do anything maliciously, but always revere God. Unquote. And that passage from Recognitions of Clement, one of some of the, uh, the the writings of the Clementine homilies, is found in the Apocrypha section of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume Eight of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, that, that thirteen-volume set of early church writings. The Gnostics are vegetarians. The Gnostic groups are described as being vegetarian. There's not one single pro-meat reference in an ancient Gnostic text. The Prayer of Thanksgiving, one of the Nag Hammadi books discovered in Egypt, mentions a vegetarian meal taking place at one of their meetings, describing a hermetic or Gnostic love feast or communal meal. The Manichaean Gnostics were known for their vegetarianism. The prophet Manny's parents were followers of the Elkasites, which was a slightly later Jewish Christian sect related to the Ebionites. They were vegetarians. Manny was veg. And his inner circle of Manichaean followers or initiates were also veg. Elaine Pagels briefly discusses the connection between a veg Gnostic passage and Indian philosophy in her book, The Gnostic Gospels, quoting the early church father Hippolytus. Quote, there is among the Indians a heresy of those who philosophize among the Brahmins who live a self-sufficient life, abstaining from eating living creatures and all cooked food. They say that God is light, not like the light one sees, nor like the sun, nor fire, but to them God is discourse, not that which finds expression in articulate sounds, but that of knowledge or gnosis through which the secret mysteries of nature are perceived by the wise. A quote from Hippolytus in his Refutation of Heresies. The Vegetarian Prayer of Thanksgiving in the Nag Hammadi Library, one of the Gnostic Gospels, and it's also found, this particular prayer is also found in the Corpus Hermeticum. I'll just actually skip ahead. The whole prayer is preserved in my article on the vegetarianism of early Christianity, but it ends with these words. When they said these things in the prayer, they embraced each other and they went to eat their holy food, which has, which has no blood in it, unquote. Marvin Meyer, in his translation of the Nag Hammadi scriptures, has a footnote that says vegetarian food. The Hermetica translation, called the Epilogue of Asclepius, found in Hermetica by Sir Walter Scott, renders that last verse this way, Having prayed thus, let us betake ourselves to a meal unpolluted by flesh of living things. The GRS Mead translation of the same section of the Corpus Hermeticum renders it this way. With this desire, we now betake us to our pure and fleshless meal. And the Brian Copenhaver translation of Asclepius, 
the Asclepius section of Hermetica, says, With such hopes we turn to a pure meal that includes no living thing. Unquote. After the break, more on the vegetarianism of the Gnostics and early Christianity. Stay tuned for more Spiritual Awakening Radio. receive a written transcript of today's program, essentially a copy of the article that I'm basing this program on, Evidence for a Vegetarian Jesus at the Beginning of Christianity, all about the vegetarianism of Jesus, the Apostles, the Veg Ebionite Gospels of early Christianity, send me an email. I'll send you a link to this article. My email address is james at spiritualawakeningradio.com james at spiritualawakeningradio.com or send me a text message at this number 508-603-9381 Some early church orthodox heresy hunters used to require meat eating on Sundays as a way to discover who those nefarious vegetarian Gnostics were in their midst. Since Gnostics were generally vegetarians, anyone refusing to partake of fleshly meals would be suspected of heresy. The following quote is found in the book Gnostic Visions by Luke Myers. While the initial cause for Gnostic vegetarianism has been unknown in the past, many classical Christian authors have documented the Gnostics' widespread practice of vegetarianism, in a 4th century Christian document, it attests that heretical Gnostic Christians were still so common and there were so many Gnostic heretics among the clergy and monks in Egypt that in one region, the patriarch Timothy made eating meat compulsory on Sundays as a way to flush out who the vegetarian Gnostics were. Unquote. What do you think of those contemporary groups that call themselves Essenes? There are several neo-Essene type groups that have formed in recent years or decades, published books and have websites. They are interested in the Jewish roots of Christianity. Their heart is in the right place. They are close. They are onto something, yes, as are those Sabbath-keeping feast day keeping you know groups that are attempting to reconnect with the jewish roots of christianity they are onto something yes but i disagree with the use of the word essene instead preferring ebionite since ebionite refers specifically to followers of jesus and his successors what some call the hebrew christians so, yes, many Essene Jews converted to the Jesus movement and then were called Ebionite. Technically speaking, the term that's most accurate, I think, is Ebionite, or referring to them as the Ebionites. Did Jesus go to India? Not that I'm aware of. 
The Gospel of Isa by Nicholas Natanovich did not work out, was not a credible, real, ancient text. See Wikipedia for further debate on that. Maybe there's a Reddit forum about it as well. Who knows? So we can't really base it on that book. The Apostle Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of traditions that do talk about Thomas traveling to the East, but the jury is very much still out on Jesus traveling to India. Wisdom from the East. That passage I quoted earlier from St. Basil the Great mentioning that meals of meat darken the spirit reminds me of a saying of the Buddha, the eating of meat extinguishes the seed of great compassion. The harshest words that Kabir, a great spiritual master and poet mystic from northern India, essentially the Rumi of India, the harshest words that Kabir ever spoke were directed against the slaughter and consumption of innocent animals. Kabir said, Keep away from the man who eats meat. His company will ruin your meditation. It's hard to reach the more subtle states of tranquility and meditation on an animal flesh diet based on the suffering of other beings. Hazur Baba Sawan Singh once said, I must point out that animal food, even if a single particle is eaten, is detrimental to spiritual progress. The following on the reason why disciples of Santmat advocate following a vegetarian diet is by Swami Sant Seviji from the book The Harmony of All Religions. The saints have addressed the sin of violence with particular attention to the foods which are eaten, foods which are produced by killing living beings as well as foods which are not pure and fresh are considered tomsic. Consumption of these is prohibited by the teachings of the saints. This includes animal products such as meat, fish, and eggs. These foods inhibit the clarity of the mind and the health of the body. There is an old saying, whatever kind of food we take in, its properties will also fill our mind. All past and present masters of Santmat, the most advanced saints of inner light and sound, advocate following a vegetarian diet. In fact, being vegetarian is a requirement in order to be initiated into the meditation practice of Santmat, known as Surat Shab Yoga, meaning meditation upon the inner light and sound of God. Santmat is a vegetarian path for mystical, spiritual, ethical, and theological reasons. The masters teach that foods are of three kinds, sattvic, rasic, and tamsic. The last category of foods, which includes all flesh foods, is to be completely avoided. Sattvic, or pure foods, the first category, includes grains, beans, vegetables, fruits, seeds, and nuts. Sattvic foods are considered by mystics to promote relaxation, meditation, and spiritual experience. The bad karma and other negative effects of flesh eating darkens one's vision of inner light, interfering with concentration and meditation. It's interesting to notice that the sattvic diet of Santmat of Hinduism, the yoga philosophy of India, and of other schools of spirituality throughout the ages, East and West, is also the life extension diet, the anti-cancer diet, the diet for antioxidants, and the diet of inner light and sound mystics east and west. It's also the environmental diet of reducing methane in the atmosphere. 
If the way of peaceful vegetarianism is the divine ideal, is the way back to Eden, why not adopt it? Hashtag assisting Isaiah. Hashtag back to Eden. As long as man continues to be the ruthless destroyer of lore living beings, he will never know health or peace. For as long as men massacre animals, they will kill each other. Indeed, he who sows the seed of murder and pain cannot reap joy and love, said Pythagoras. And once again, this is from the Syriac Aramaic Gospel of Luke, a saying of Jesus, Be on guard so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh and with the intoxication of wine and with the anxiety of the world. <laughs>